The Seahawks' playoff hopes took a major hit when they lost to the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, continuing their stretch of poor defensive play. With a huge matchup against the 49ers looming on Thursday, Seattle suddenly finds themselves in a very precarious situation. Scheme guru Griffin Sturgeon joins us to diagnose what's gone wrong and how it can be fixed moving forward. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my titular producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling nippy, Jackson. How are you? <laughs> um, um, I'm all right, man. I mean, look, life is good. Like Gino said, my complaints aren't real complaints. But that was a bummer of a game, man. I mean, that game sucked an entire ass. It felt like it was 17-0 by the time the coin flip hit the ground. And even though Seattle got close for a minute, it's that stubborn inability to stop a pretty one-dimensional Panthers offense made overcoming that deficit nearly impossible. Yeah, it felt sort of like what you and I had talked about after the Raiders game, and they showed this in spurts against the Saints and the Lions in those uh, clusterfuck defensive performances earlier this season, where especially like right after a turnover, it felt like the opposing offense scored like on the first play after the turnover, or they had like an enormous explosive gain on the first play of a possession. It was just yes. like weird, lazy, lackadaisical mind fart, uh, just madness. So just a wonky game run defense that cannot stop the run is the most infuriating thing to watch in the game of football. So it honestly is. Hopefully, hopefully they can get things cleared up. And thankfully we have a guest that can lay the blueprint for us today. Yeah, seriously, man. I mean, look, NFL football is not nearly as reductive as most of the discourse surrounding it wants it to seem. The reasons team win and lose games at that level rarely boil down to one thing. However, Sometimes a particular team's strength or weakness is so evident that it overrides all the other nuances of the matchup. And I think that's what happened in Seattle on Sunday. Sitting down to help us parse the particulars is a master of scheme and style, however. He is the co-host of the Seattle Overload podcast and a friend of the show. Our fellow Twitter degenerates know him as the brilliantly worm-brained C-Mike spin move. He is Griffin Sturgeon. Griff, welcome back. Hey guys, thanks for having me back on. Uh, it's an honor, although I am... Um... A little apprehensive about the subject matter. I'm still uh, emotionally reeling from about 48 hours ago, just like you guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, one of the things I, I get my impressions, and you know, it's a little bit of blend of of just being a fan and whatever analytical oomph I can add to that. But I really appreciate your thoughts during and immediately after these games because you just you're you're watching a little bit different game than I am. And so I'm really excited to kind of get your thoughts on exactly what's going on. And and look, I mean, the main thrust of this show is going to be trying to figure out what's going on with the defense. And I'm, I'm really eager to get your thoughts on that. I mean, this was, <laughs> they've been cataclysmic for a month. Uh, but you know, those struggles were not the only aspect of that game on Sunday. Uh, as listeners know, I'm a believer in breaking down each season into chapters or mini seasons. And it feels like the results of each of those segments is reflective 
almost exactly of how the defense is performing. Uh, they were inconsistent during the first month when the Seahawks opened up two and three. Then they were borderline dominant for the four-game win streak in October before largely falling apart as the team has lost three of their last four. Throughout all of this, however, the offense has stayed remarkably consistent, scoring at least 20 points in nine of their last 11 games, and they still rank sixth in the NFL in scoring overall. So my first question for you is, how sustainable is this offense, especially going up against what's probably the best defense in the NFL on Thursday? I think the offense, generally speaking, is sustainable because they can get it any any number of way. Like they're not they're not one dimensional. They're not even two dimensional. Um, you know, they can live in different packages and move the ball with guys that aren't DK and Tyler. Um, Gino can, I think the biggest question we all had was, can Gino get explosive um, with DK and Tyler? And he can in his own way. Um, and then also he can carve guys up um, in, in the drop back game. Like we're seeing an influx of more, um, uh, like f- uh, you, you call it like five-step drop concepts. And it's a lot easier to kind of, inflate the volume of your your pass offense with those plays and Gino's been really consistent with that I think that reflects statistically and just kind of you know a subjective view of of, of watching the tape back so they they are um, their their floor is high enough in enough areas that I think that they they can continue to adapt and work around you know shortcomings here and there as they crop up over the season and keep it moving um, now the the 49ers game obviously is you're running into what a top three defense this year they just have overwhelming talent up front um and uh the rookie tackles are they've had some spectacular games this year against good pass rushers and they've had bad games this year against good pass rushers they just shut down brian burns um for example and we were all worried about that matchup right and then got yeeted by max crosby you know a couple of weeks before so there's rookie variants there going on, but like the the spectrum of play is fairly well defined. So we'll be very curious to see where that play, where their play falls um, on that spectrum against uh, Nick Bosa and Co. Obviously, the first go around it was not pretty, um, but this will be a really interesting measuring stick, not just for this season, but like where the protection is going. I think in general, uh, for the long haul, however long that is right now. Um, uh, going up against uh, going up against those guys, so yeah, it'll, it'll, we'll be able to touch base on where the protection is. But I think ultimately it it it's dependent on where, where the protection's at. And I think everyone else will be able to take uh, take care of business to at least be competitive on Thursday. Yeah, and we're, we're going to circle back to the 49ers game in a bit. But through the first nine games of the season, uh, the Seahawks were one of the best rushing teams in the league. Ever since the Bucks game in Munich, though. The run game has been mostly non-existent. Uh, the easy thing to point to is Ken Walker's injury, but I think the issues go deeper than that. What have you seen? Yeah, I agree. Um, there, there's a little bit of variance of play in the individual blocking. Like, again, I think Cross and Lucas have all the talent in the world to be really good run blockers, um, but they're just like in protection, they've been up and down, although in protection, mostly up, right? In the run blocking, it's been a little bit yeah. more so mostly down. Um I think Austin Blythe is regressing throughout the season, and, and that's a factor, although you could argue center isn't, at, relatively speaking, isn't that important for the run blocking to work. Um, I, I can't say I haven't paid super close enough attention to Damian Lewis. I just kind of take him as a given um, that he, he's going to be adequate in run blocking. But Phil, the combination of Phil Haynes and Gabe Jackson, I think Gabe Jackson is just regressing um, athletically, and there's not a lot you can do about that. And then 
Phil Haynes being not a young player anymore necessarily, but inexperienced, he, he kind of just needs to string together reps. Um, so on that note, I, I don't really know what the what, what the projections can be ceiling wise, but even when they were productive, they they kind of were hit and miss in that they were they were um, getting big gains. They were hitting explosive gains with uh, a pretty low success rate. So. And I, and I I attribute that mostly to just Ken Walker being a difference maker. So I, that that's the biggest head scratcher. I don't really know what to point to other than, you know, more continuity can't hurt. And let's hope Ken Walker can get on the field because he, he's still a home run threat at any point. Also, though, I think what's in part attributing to the low success rate is that Walker is just he's still a rookie. Sometimes he does leave yards on the field, not for lack of effort, but I think he's just trying to feel out blocking schemes. So there is a little bit of him helping the O-line out and then vice versa. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, for starters, let's just get him back on the field there on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a, a big deal. And there's no doubt that he has definitely left yards on the field, like you said. Um, and, and you know, you attributed that to kind of feeling out the blocking scheme, uh, which might be more accurate. My my impression was this is a dude who's always been the most athletic guy on the field. You watch his college tape. He runs into trouble early in a play. He has this remarkable ability to break tackles, get outside, beat people to the edge. And we've seen this year a lot of times where if the gap that he's trying to run through isn't there, uh, instead of just pushing forward and taking the one-yard gain, he will try and make something happen. And it feels like the NFL is just a little too fast for that. And and he'll learn that. I'm, I'm not overly concerned about that. The other point uh, that just, it, it stuck with me ever since I read this a couple weeks ago, we had Stacy Rost on and, uh, we talked about, uh, Bob Condotta article where he was looking into the run game struggles and this is two games ago, mind you, but it hasn't changed. So I imagine this metric is, is similar, but during the first seven games of the season, I think it was, um, or eight Seattle was averaging nearly three yards before contact on run plays, which I think is very much reflective of how they were blocking and scheming uh, over the last two games. When that article was written, I imagine it's very similar based on the last two games as well. They were down under one yard before contact. Um, and and I think that, that probably speaks to what you're talking about with regression, uh, whether it be athletically or just missing the reps like with with phil haynes on the interior of the line it just seems like they're getting pushed backwards when earlier in the season they were pushing forward yeah agree so uh, that that's that's a great point for bob there so on that note we, we've seen the ceiling defined then if we're isolating the blocking and then we've also seen the floor fairly well defined so here's um, hoping if if you're in the, of the mind of trying to think positively potentially they could you know well regress positively back to their their upper upper end play maybe um so i don't know just hope, hope and pray that it happens um but yeah you also the, the other component here is that when we talk about rookies we talk about rookie variants but also just hitting a rookie wall too um yeah cross and lucas this they're hitting the the point of the season where they've exceeded the snaps they've ever played in a college season so yeah, you know, and and run blocking obviously requires a lot of physical exertion. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I uh, you you can only hope you can only hope it gets better. Yeah, I mean it's it's great that they stacked up wins early in the season when they could because this has kind of been the monkey that's been scratching at the back of my brain all season. Is okay. This is a very young team offensively and defensively. We are reaching their 
their limit. I mean, it's one yeah. thing to just play more plays in, in general, but you're also, I mean, these games take such a toll on these players. So it's more weeks of having to recover from 50 to 60 minor car accidents in a Sunday afternoon. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, you're talking about the physical exertion necessary to successfully run block, even in the sec where these tackles are coming from as rookies, you know, all of a sudden it's like, these are NFL players, man. I mean, it's, right. it's a different, it's a different weight sled you're pushing in the NFL than you were in college. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, you don't get to beat up on uh, you don't get a series of beating up on a freshman, right? A true freshman, 19 year old kid. Right. Yeah. Um, the worst guy is 25, you know, bench presses, whatever squats, whatever he squats and it, right. So yeah. Um, I, I do wonder if it, if it is just as simple as that, you, you'd like to think so. That would be encouraging. I, I could live with that as opposed to something about their games getting figured out and, and exploited. Uh, but it, I mean, you know, I've, I've come full circle. I've always been a believer in an effective run game. My frustrations with this team in the past was what I felt was uh, an inordinate leaning on the run around 2018 or so when they were not running the ball well. That's that's distant memory, though, as far as I'm concerned. I, I really do respect and appreciate the effort that this team puts into running the ball well and running it explosively. Um, we'll we'll see if they're able to get that back. It's going to be tough in this next opponent. Yeah. But I want to zoom back out to the quarterback position. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about Gino at the outset of the show, but I want you to dig in on this for me because you were the first person I saw that was really on board with Geno Smith and his potential this year. Look at the grin and on he, his face. Oh, I know he it. knows. I know he, knew I know he knows. He, he gets to, to victory know. lap, man. He gets to victory lap. Like he was he was irreversibly Geno pilled at the outset, <laughs> and the he's just goes. been slowly converting people as the season gone has gone on. I mean, and and look, Geno's absolutely validating. Uh, those opinions that you had of him well and exceeding any rational expectation i had too full admission right yeah yeah let, i mean this this is the one percent outcome right. uh within his range and and we're seeing it and it's awesome but even even if we were to just align his performance with what your expectations were coming into the season what is it that you like so much about him um i i think a good starting point is always kind of looking at players as prospects even if they're like 32 years old, right? Because we didn't have a lot of data on him in the NFL because um, he just hadn't played that much. Um, what we did see was him on a you know, rookie contract on a bad Jets team, right? Um, but looking at his just the traits that he had, I think he checked enough boxes in a, in a very, like, from a very broad, broad view. Um, like, his, 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 I think that his arm talent and arm level, the way we kind of collectively perceived it, uh, was dampened a little bit be because we had Drew Locke to juxtapose him with during the whole offseason. Um, but I think that made some of us lose sight of the fact that, uh, I mean, he, he ripped a couple of throws um, when he did play last year. Um, you can you, you can identifiably say, like, okay, the arm strength does die at a certain distance, but he can be really accurate with within a certain window um, more accurate than I think you could say most quarterbacks based off of the small sample size that we had uh, within a certain yard bracket like that, whatever you want, that 18 to 35-ish yard range. I mean, he can rifle it in there. Um, yeah, he really can. Yeah, and, and 
if he can set his feet, he, he can chuck one downfield. He just can't do it like Russ where it's off platform. He needs to put his whole body into it. But if, if he has the opportunity, he can get explosive. So that was kind of the main starting point I looked at was, does he have the arm to actually make throws? Um, and then from there, his decision-making in that, that four, three and a half or four and a half game sample we had last year, um, if you were to just to run down every single play and go, all right, is he making a good decision here? Is he reading the play out here, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, there were very few times where I thought he missed something or I thought he mismanaged the pocket, um, uh, you know, th- th- uh, things of that nature. So if you, if you take the arm and then you take generally good process and then you think, okay, give him a full offseason to put him in an offense that is not meant for a quarterback that is currently sidelined due to injury. You put him one meant for him and his skill set. And further, you've got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Noah Fant, and then potential, some potential in the offensive line, which we're seeing become, you know, come to fruition, right? Then why can't this offense at least be functional? Um, and so anything that you can hope for there essentially just stuck. I mean, I didn't, maybe Gino regressed, maybe if you put more on his plate, he, uh, the, all the processing and stuff would kind of wane or be inconsistent, maybe he'd spray a few more balls than you'd like him to, et cetera, you know, but things like that just didn't happen. Um, it wasn't until the preseason games where I thought just isolating quarterback performance, I'm like, wow, every single quarter uh, Geno drive we're getting is the Jack is the Jack Jacksonville game. It's the process, not looking at results. Mm-hmm. Like think about the bears game. They were drop passes where, where he's putting his eyes, how he's working the pocket, where he's putting the ball, how he's delivering it, et cetera. This is the Jacksonville game. So, and sure, you 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 dampen your uh, excitement considering that it's preseason. You've got preseason defenses. It's not, it's not real for real football, but you can only evaluate what's in front of you, right? So that was when I was thinking, okay, they have a chance here. Also, the protection during preseason was really exciting, more exciting than I think any of us thought it could have been um again controlling for preseason um so it was at that point where i was like okay i think they have a shot here um especially coupled with the idea that i thought the defense was going to be much better or at least much more consistent than it's been um but that was when my excitement level started to uh get a little out of control but it's cool to see him maintain maintain that level of play yeah you know uh he has except this past week he was a little sloppy and i don't know if that was because maybe he was trying to force things a little bit Uh, now i i I will say this that first interception i'm giving all the credit to jc horn horn did not break off of dk's route until after that ball was in the air when gino made the decision to throw to tyler lockett on that over route uh that was uh at least over the top of dk's route it, it looked like, you know, there was something there. So, but I think that combined with the fact that all of a sudden they were down 10, nothing didn't have a run game to lean on. He, it, it did look like he was pressing. Yeah. Um, even some of his early completions were inaccurate throws. The, the deep ball to uh, Goodwin was, uh, you know, that, that took a remarkable effort from Marquise and then the touchdown Tyler Lockett was wide open and he, damn near overthrow him. He did overthrow him. Lockett made a a great catch. It felt like he was throwing off his back foot a lot. Uh, The second interception, you know, again, there's a built-in excuse there. He thought he had a free play. He should have had a free play. Absolutely. 
that doesn't make that throw a good one or a good decision. Um, it was definitely forced into, into double coverage there. Um, and it was on a flag that wasn't going to give them a first down. So, you know, it's not something where uh, you really should ma- make a shot like that. He also had three other passes that could have been intercepted. Yeah. Is this just something that's the variance of an NFL season? Occasionally you're just going to have games like this. Or did you see something different from Gino on Sunday? Yeah, I, I think probably a combination of the two. It definitely was not a a, a good game for him in terms of uh, uh, like accuracy and stuff. Um, he throughout this season, some of his most accurate throws this year, where we all agree, great throw, have been very close to being tipped or worse. Um, he it's in his just nature and in, in his process to want to play with fire a little bit, not in like decision making and that you know he's he's neglecting like what the defense is doing and he's gonna try to rifle it in there anyway it's more like those one-on-one looks where he knows what the defender can be doing but he's trusting his timing and accuracy and when you're off even a little bit you know that's this is what can happen um he he did forget how small the margins for error are in the absolutely absolutely and this is a good lesson to right to remember how small they are right um now he, I did wonder a little bit if the shoulder was impacting him because he did have that that thing where he was on the injury report earlier last week, yep. um, and I thought that first interception, I thought he was a tick late on it, but I also thought he underthrew it. Also, it's still if if the defender didn't make the play that he did, it was a great play. Still, it would have been completed, but that's the kind of ball that you try to put a little high, like you don't want D- Tyler to have to dig that ball out, and that's what he would have had to have done. Very catchable still. But in that instance, I wonder, did the ball die on him? And was he late because he wanted to get another shuffle in there to put more oomph on it? Because um, mm-hmm. normally, I mean, he would just flip his hips and crank it and um, and, and let, let it loose. So I, 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 I would like to think it was just he wasn't 100% and he wasn't operating well, given that he might have known that he wasn't 100%. He shouldn't have been trying to make some of the throws he was making. Um, yeah, on, on, on the flip side though, I think it is even on his probably, I think worst game of the season, he still had some high-ish level throws in him this game yes, and, and some good decision-making and some, a couple of good drives. So it was nice to see that it wasn't total system breakdown. It was just more like, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's batten down the hatches a little bit. Um, well, and if we want to talk about his worst game of the season, I mean, I'm I'm throwing the 49ers game, first 49ers game out. That was, I mean, that was messy for everybody sure. in, in all aspects, uh, weather-wise including. But, you know, aside from that, this was probably his worst performance just from a process standpoint. And yet his numbers were still great, still completing over 60% of his passes, still had a, a very respectable yards per attempt. Uh, he threw three touchdowns, you know, I mean, like it's, it's in some way encouraging. Cause a lot of times because the margin for error in the NFL is so small, you see quarterbacks that are off by a degree or a few degrees and their numbers tank. They end up completing 12 of 28 passes for 140 yards. It's not what we got. Uh, you know, we still, you, you look at the box score. If you didn't watch the game, you'd say Gino played all right. So, uh, for me, that was encouraging. I mean, it sucks cause the way the defense played, you needed elite Gino to win, right. and they didn't get him. But that, I think, says as much about the pressure that was being put on him by the rest of the team uh, as it does about Gino himself. So uh, last question on this before we move on. Gino the guy for 2023 and beyond? For my money, yeah. Just make it simple. 
give him that Kirk Cousins contract and and uh, keep it moving, keep it rolling. What was that? Was that three years, eighty-seven? I all think, guaranteed. Yeah, I don't know about the guarantees. I don't think John would do that. I don't know if that's wise either. But I, I like I like a three-year deal uh, with uh, with a lot of money involved to keep him happy. But I think that's a good range. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I would like a, a contract like that. I, I you know, the, the way that I always put it is if I wake up tomorrow and I heard that Seattle signed Gino to a three-year extension, how would I feel? And for going on a month and a half now, I would feel pretty good about that. This game does not change that for me. Yeah, agreed. It also it also simplifies where you are putting your chips in the draft too, which would just yes, for that. That's my favorite part of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, all right. And and this might tie into the draft a little bit too. I have danced around this for as long as I can uh, on this show. <laughs> Tell me what the hell is going on with this defense, man. How can they go from so bad to so good to so bad inside of one season? You know, they I don't know where where to start. Ultimately, we all agree that the defense isn't built yet on on paper the way that you know the 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 complete vision that that we're wanting to see right um that said i still think that they are way better than or i think that they're way more talented than the results that we're seeing it absolutely in my opinion should not be anywhere near this bad for the talent that they and you're saying that based on like talent level pure like raw talent um I, I mean, I'm just, just keeping it strictly like run defense with the, in, in, in 20, like in, in 2014, they were, they had like the second most efficient run defense. And that was when Red Bryant was gone and Brandon Meebane was out for the whole season. Their starting tackles were 34 year old Kevin Williams, who was a solid player still, but well past his prime and journeyman, Tony McDaniel. And their third defensive tackle was Jordan Hill, who was not a good run defender. And somehow they managed to have the second best run defense. Now, obviously, you've got everyone else on that team, right? But run defense starts with the guys in the middle that are taking on blocks. There's no way around that. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got Ray Lewis and Mike Singletary behind him. It's just you, you, the guys got to win the blocks in front of you, right? Um, when I look at Al Woods and Puna Ford and Shelby Harris, I think that that's that might be your your that might be your second best like top three snap getter combo um, at defensive tackle in the entire Carroll era. Just in, in, in my opinion, I'm all three of those guys are, are, are pretty solid players. So why are we seeing such, such uneven results? And I think, uh, and even if you, even if you don't agree with that, which is totally fine, it, it's, it's, we're kind of splitting hairs a little bit last year with pretty much the same guys in the front seven, they were the 10th, uh, most efficient run defense. Um, I think their success rate was even better. And then this year, they're like you said, they're they're horrific. Now they have played for a stretch up to their talent level, um, but ultimately, like, yeah, like what wh- what's going on this year? Well, they so in the beginning of the season, you know, we, we talked about how we've got a scheme change, right? We're switching to the three four. And what changed was not the three four usage. What changed was that they started playing this two four five nickel front. Um, they were playing on early downs, and they're 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 disadvantaged in the box um, schematically. But I think even the the bigger problem is that to play that front, you're asking them the individual players to play techniques the way they engage the block. 
um, differently than you asked them to play it last year. And then the second they revert back to the style of play, and this actually goes even for within their three, four front, they, they, um, they adapted the techniques to start the season a little more pure Fangio, uh, week five, week six, I uh, have it on good authority that Pete Carroll essentially said, we're doing what we did last year. Um, and they culled from their, not playbook necessarily, but for, from like their game plan, a lot of what they did in the, the first four months. So it wasn't just randomness. It was like, there's clear correlation with what calls they're putting out there and what calls they aren't. And then all of a sudden they start playing. Well, Puna Ford starts looking great again, not great, but really yeah. good. Right. You know, I don't think his name was called once in the first five games of the year. I, th- I mean the, the, the first five games I thought is Puna hurt. There's something wrong. Why is he getting blown off the ball? He's, he's being asked to play a certain way that he hasn't really played before. Um, and sometimes it's that simple, like, uh, f- like uh, top-down view, the the defense is still operating the same, or even was operating the same world as they were last year. I mean, the I, I think you would bucket the 2021 defense schematically with what the Fangio group around the league was doing, but I think the the tweaks that they made, I think, kind of the lesson hits home that the devil's in the details. And they become fundamentally different almost overnight when they just ask them to play a certain way, um, you know, where they're putting their eyes, where they're putting their hands, literally on the blocker. Now all of a sudden, Puna Ford's firing off the ball, getting the backfield. Quentin Jefferson's getting some too. So I guess so. Let me let me jump in here. So so they are bad, and then they go back to what worked down the stretch for them last year, and then they're good. Now they're bad again. Are you seeing? them try to slip back in some of the concepts they tried to use at the beginning of the year like hey okay we got this base down it's going good now let's let's try again with what we were trying to do in september or did they just get figured out like i mean they they've given up almost 700 rushing yards in the last three games like it doesn't even make sense to say out loud it's 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 as horrific as it sounds so they are they are slipping back into that front that i was talking about two four five now, when they are playing 3-4, they're still playing it the way that they used to. And they're, I think, on an individual player-to-player basis, they're doing okay in that. Uh, what we're not seeing, though, are you can't just be static in that front because there are run scheme beaters where if, if, if everybody stalemates and you're sound schematically, then you're probably going to stuff the run. Whereas if everyone stalemates and you're not sound schematically, the offense is probably going to have one of their runs pop. That's kind of what we saw against Tampa Bay. Um, I didn't think that they gave up the runs they did in the second half because guys were losing blocks. I thought they were they were giving up the yards that they were because Leftwich was throwing out the scheme breakers, and they weren't they weren't situationally sound for it. They didn't have a play call of, of available for it, even when they were in bear. Um, th- th- that is one core difference between Clint Hurt and Ken Norton Jr. where regardless of what you thought of the big picture I mean Ken Norton Jr. he had answers he had a tool belt there were even if they didn't work um, if you presented like an idea on paper and like the offense does and then you present okay here's your countermeasure Ken's had countermeasures that were very specific to certain concepts and I don't see as much of that from Clint and it's really bizarre that we wouldn't because Pete was in the building last year as he's in the building this year, and Clint was in the building last year as he's in the building this year. Not only was he in the building, he was the defensive line coach. He knows exactly what they did last year against certain runs and why they worked. 
So it's bizarre that a defensive coordinator who is an in-house promotion who comes from the D-line doesn't have these plays ready. It's it, At times it feels like they're working with the preseason install in terms of how simple they are and and um, how static they are. Um, uh, so it's th- th- those are those are questions that I have. And in the first half of the Panthers game, uh, I thought the run defense was not great, but fine for a, a good running team. I like they were holding their running backs to three point three yards per carry or something. Actually, three point two. Then in the second half, the dam broke. Al Woods goes out. They're playing Jefferson and Collier on first down, and they're getting destroyed in in bear or. Um, or or this this two four five even front, um, but on the coaching side of it, I did find it odd that in the second half, when the Panthers go into gun, which seems like a pass formation, they decided to run anyway, and they remained in their pass oriented fronts. And I'm thinking the Panthers, even though league wide, that's a formation that you'd see where passing is more common. Uh, the Panthers still run in that formation. So why are you not matching personnel in the first half? Yeah, there were no surprises there. Nothing they were doing. Like, I think the Rams caught Seattle by surprise on those first two drives, the kind of first scripted 15 plays. Seattle looked surprised because it was lots of horizontal. And and to be fair, Panthers did a lot of, of that as well. Only instead of with like jet sweeps, they were doing quick swing passes out to the perimeter. They got LaVisca Schnault really involved, but that's not what was going on down the stretch. They were lining they were just up and getting, running it straight at Seattle. They, they were, they were getting pushed back. So the only way I can make sense of the second half is not to make excuses, but just to find reasons. So, I mean, you can, you know, do with the reasons what you will, but I think you've, you're down your two best defensive tackles, in my opinion, Al Woods and Shelby Harris. Um, and then you're in a disadvantageous defense front call, whatever, you know, what have you. And then on top of that, guys are just kind of falling apart mentally, maybe out on the field. And it's just that point, it's which is not good, but it just seems like not like they gave up, but they're just out of it at that point, which is really demoralizing to watch unfold. Demoralizing is the word, man. I mean, it's so easy to see why coaches love pounding the rock as frustrating as it is for us sometimes. And as much as it doesn't line up with the spreadsheets, there's no more. I mean, demoralizing is yeah. the word, man. That there's no more demoralizing way to lose yeah. than just not being able to get off the field when it looks like the opposing offense is running the most simple right at you type of offense. Yeah. So, so we talked a lot about the defensive line and, and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to chalk some of it up to personnel stuff over a three game spread, four game spread. Really. It's a little bit tougher uh, to do that, but I want to move one level back. Jordan Brooks, first round pick. I thought as a rookie playing alongside Bobby Wagner, he was exceptional. I, I thought he was justifying where he was picked, even though, you know, middle linebacker is not necessarily uh, considered a premium position. I do think it is in Pete Carroll's defense, uh, but playing alongside Bobby Wagner, he seemed just a little bit freer to go get the ball. Uh, this year, the tackle numbers are still stupendous. Uh, he may very well lead the NFL in tackles, but a lot of that seems like kind of empty calories. So my question to you is, is Jordan Brooks good? Um, I think overall that yes, he's, he is good. Um, I, I think like the skill set, I think he has a blue chip skill set. Um, generally speaking, I consider him someone that's really good at uh, play recognition, diagnosing plays. Um, I think that the, the, the first month of the season, he was having problems that he just didn't have before. 
And I do think it was related to, again, like those scheme tweaks up front were just enough to where no one was really had their act together. Um, the last three games, the way I characterize it is that he's making a lot of the plays that he always makes. And then there's some backbreaking miscue that just seems to crop up out of nowhere for with no is right. Is that just reason. picking the wrong gap or getting fooled by a lineman? It, 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 it can be, it can be all of it. So the, the, the Rams game in particular. So what one note on the Rams game, when, when I kind of made that comment about the talent level and stuff and, that seemed to be a frustrating great game for some people. Every single run that game from the running backs, all their standard runs, the the front seven stuffed. Like they they won the day. Like the Cam Akers had negative EPA per rush. He had like three point three yards per carry uh, from all the running backs collectively. Every single run that hurt them. Well, not every single run, but collectively the the running back runs went nowhere uh, for the whole sample. Overall, it was all the receiver runs out on the perimeter. So. While the overall rushing numbers were poor, I think the front seven mostly handled their business, and that's kind of why I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of on this on this kick of like the talent level is fine. That there are just kind of systemic issues going on, but outside of that, like Jordan did have a bad play that game that was so unlike him, and as simple as you're the B gap player, there's nothing in this play that could maybe give you any sort of hesitation hesitation where you could still be wrong but like understandable that you might make that hesit- like be hesitant there mm-hmm. there's one play where just at there's no ambiguity and he out leverages himself and it's like he's going into the a gap so my only thinking is is this guy trying to make plays out of frustration outside of outside of what is asked of him um and he's just messing himself up for lack of a better term um this week against the the Panthers or this past week again I thought he made a lot of the usual plays that he did make but then there's one play where they're in this call it was that one touchdown run um I think on the 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 Panthers final score of the game where he is the uh he in the in the fit and the the second level he needs to fit any puller that comes through his initial gap he needs to fit it with um, outside leverage so his inside half of his body needs to contact the guy and his outside half needs to be free to plug that gap so if the ball hits his gap he needs to make it right or make the tackle and then he goes and fits it as though he thinks he needs to fit it with his inside shoulder and then or with his outside shoulder and keep his inside shoulder free and it's as simple as knowing are you the what you call the lever fitter or are you the spill fitter there and he's playing it like he's a spill fitter when he's in fact the lever fitter and i'm sure he watched that tape back and thought i can't believe i just did that because it's something routine so why is a player who has hundreds of snaps logged in the scheme who has done it right before hundreds of times and now is making some huge error like that it's bizarre now it's not it's not crazy that a linebacker would make a mistake like that i mean bobby wagner had those also but they weren't you know he didn't have three glaring mistakes in the last three games like the that that final touchdown run again in the raiders game i thought i I was tweeting out like wow the linebackers are actually taking care of business this game and then all of a sudden the 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 final play happens and it's like jordan brooks just gave up a touchdown um yeah so it's 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 concerning and and and, uh perplexing and the the only thing i can think is like as far as from where i'm sitting going about trying to fix that i think you just try to smooth out 
those other like schematic things I was talking about and just hope that everything else catches up and follows because I don't think you can find linebackers that have the traits that he has easily. Right. There wasn't a single one last last year, and last year was a good linebacker class in my opinion. Not one of them had his movement skills at his density So, and play recognition. So, I mean, I think you just kind of have to hope for the better. We forget how young these guys are, right? I mean, yeah. what's Jordan Brooks? He's 23. You yeah. know? And, and I think the most plausible reason for – his struggles and, and you made a good point. It's not like he's struggling all the time. It's just that there are some high leverage misses that really stand out and erase a lot of the good that he's done. I mean, you stop two, three, four runs for short yardage and then miss an assignment and it goes for 50 or it goes for a touchdown or whatever, then that, that seems to wash away all the good you did on, on the other ones. And then I think the most plausible thing in my mind that you said there is, him maybe starting to try and do too much and, and feeling like, okay, we're getting beat all these different ways. I need to do more than what is just being asked of me on this play. So that brings me to the guy. And it's funny because I had made this comparison with a buddy the day before I saw you tweet this out. Uh, and it was an older tweet, but you referenced it today uh, about how Cody Barton is replacing Jamal Adams as the guy who's getting pinned unfairly uh, for you know, for, for missed assignments and stuff. And so I, I wonder you're, you're high on Cody Barton, uh, relative to, I think most Seahawks fans. And I see you fighting the good fight <laughs> on the bird, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, my question is how good is Cody Barton? And if, if Jordan Brooks is feeling like he needs to do more than what's being asked of him, is that a reflection of some misses elsewhere? I.e. the guy that's playing the position Brooks played last year with Cody Barton. Um, I think as as far as the the problems that Brooks is having, I think they might be more specific to to the defensive line and just honestly just isolated to him. Like I don't think he's trying to make plays that the will should be making. I think he's just trying to, you know, when uh, when you say like you know don't uh, uh, don't uh, undercut blocks, you got to go over the top stuff like that. Well, he's undercutting them. He's 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 pressing. Um, so I don't know if it's Barton related, but on on that note on the Barton note do, do I think he's good um I have a very qualified answer for his run defense and but first in in pass coverage I think he's I, I think he's up there with some of the better coverage linebackers in the league in terms of just pure cover skills the ability to run around um you know they don't ask linebackers to go man up in the slot on Tyree Kill like that's that's not what even Fred Warner can't do that, right? So when we say cover skills, we mean like people in general. We mean like can you um, can you carry a tight end with you know ten yards of depth? Can you carry a a receiver on a deep over route? Stuff like that. Uh, when you're running step for step with Rondale Moore, who runs a four three, I think you have cover skills, and which he did in both Cardinals games. Um, and and then also like the other side of it for matching routes the the other side of coverage is you know like spot dropping um he's gotten his hand on a lot of balls uh uh this year with with, you know getting full-time snaps not full-time because they they play a package oriented defense now but he's getting all the will snaps right um i think his spot dropping is, is pretty good he prevents a lot of completions too um 
uh, overall, like if if you look at, I don't like on off sp- on off splits, but there's this idea that the Seahawks were better when Barton was off the field when he started playing less. And while that is li- literally true, if we compare um, for pass coverage purposes anyway, they have two main nickel packages: one where he's on the field and one where he's off. The the nickel package where he's on the field, their defensive efficiency or pass efficiency is better. So in terms of on-off splits, which is a very janky way of looking at it, I think he passes uh, that test. Um, for his run defense, I think that when he is keying the when he's keying what's happening in front of him, I think he's fine. I don't think he's special. I don't think he is a weak link. I think when he um, when when his eyes can let him put his feet in the right place, contact is much less of an issue. Um, it's when he's a second, a tick wrong, he doesn't have the play strength to correct himself. Whereas Brooks, R- Wagner, Wright, when they're wrong and an uh, offensive lineman is, is starting to get to him or even a fullback or a tight end, they, they can engage the block and actually like uh, p- uh, play with it a little bit. Barton can't do that. So in essence, Barton has to be perfect um, in, in defending the run. But the thing is, he has more games than not where he has been keying the run correctly and where the contact issues aren't, aren't, aren't a problem. I think there's another thing with the perception where there's a lot of times where if a defensive tackle is getting pushed back into the linebacker's lap, they're not asking the linebacker to go underneath that. And then it looks like he's got, he's just getting blocked all over the place. They would rather him have maintain horizontal leverage, even if it's six, seven yards downfield, um, then try to like uh, like blow the block up, like engage the block with your shoulder and everything. They just want things to stay spaced because then that means somebody else is one-on-one with their offensive lineman and they're able to make the play. So like a lot of these instances where it looks like he's just getting tossed around, it's not affecting the play negatively. And also because he has a little bit of a target on his back, if you went back with the super critical eye, in the past years, there'd be a lot more reps that look like that for Wagner and Wright than you might expect. It's just they get memory hold because the run defense for most of those years have been really good consistently, right? Sure. Um, but but that's well, you're, t- you're talking about guys that are all pro and pro bowl year in and year out, right? Too. Right. And I'm not sitting here and say, oh, Cody's actually good taking on contact. I, I'm simply saying when everyone else is playing right, Cody's fine. Like and and m- most run defenders, you, you're talking about them like yeah, they're fine. It's it's are you it's can you are your efforts and coverage, um, what, what what am I trying to say here? Are you so bad against the run that your efforts and coverage are uh, minimized, where you you can't be played in the areas where uh, the offense could run or pass? So in those balanced situations sure. and like that Raiders game. Um, I thought the linebacker, because they again played that 2-4-5, that even front, too high defense. And I thought the linebackers handled business in, in that they knew what, like Clint Hurt knew what they were asking of him. Like, you're going to get some of these gap runs and we want, we're going to stay in the defense we are because we need to defend the seam route that they will throw at you in base personnel. You've got to be ready for it. So we're sa- telling you when they run counter weak, you've got to be ready for it. And 90% of what you're asking for the linebackers in those areas situations is just be leveraged correctly. And Cody and Jordan were getting to their spots. And I don't think beyond that, it was, I can't remember exactly what happened that game 
where things got away from them in the second half. But I mean, I didn't source the problem down to the linebacker play. So at least in my opinion. Um, So yeah, Cody is, he's got some issues in run defense. I think he's good in coverage. And I think for run defense, there have been some plays where he's been blamed for that for them. And I just don't think that they were his, uh, his fault, um, his responsibility on those. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground here with the defense and super grateful for that. If we were to take the long form answer and translate it into listicle form, if you had to assign culpability for the team's struggles, especially in the run game, how would you rank it between scheme, personnel, and coaching? Um, I would go, I would, I would go, I think, they might be close, but I think I would go scheme first um, because I think the ideas were unsound, a lot of it. And so I would go scheme and then I, 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 I can understand going personnel and then coaching because a lot of the, the, the problems they're having is they're, they have personnel shortcomings, but they're not shortcomings that are impossible to be worked around schematically and, and coaching wise. So I don't know. I, I might say coaching and, and personnel are tied because I, I empathize the wrong words. I'm not a coach and I've never been in their shoes before. So I don't know what, 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 what all goes in, into it. But um, I, I empathize though still with the coaches because they're not dealing, they, they don't have, you know, they don't have a single guy that anyone would say is elite, right? There, there, sure. there are, shortcomings in certain areas but i also think that like we've seen this unit be really good before and sustain it for a long time as well so um i do i do think it's on the staff to harness that at the same time yeah you know uh one thing we haven't talked about and it's because we've been focusing mostly on the struggles of this defense so this is maybe credit by subtraction here we haven't talked about the secondary and we haven't talked about uchenna and wosu and to my eyes and and we don't got to spend a lot of time on it because i do want to get to the 49ers game but as far as your secondary personnel goes i i do think the best players on the defense this year have been Tariq woolen and ryan neal i think kobe bryant has been good we haven't heard quandary Diggs' name called nearly as much this season that may be because he's not having to cover for as many sins as maybe he had to last year. But one thing that Seahawks defense has lacked for a number of years is the game wrecker, the guy that can just go out and destroy a play on his own. And we've seen that from Inwosu this year. Um, He's top 10 in sacks. He's extremely high. I don't know exactly where he's at after the last game in terms of quarterback pressures, stuff like that. Really quickly, your thoughts on Inwosu and on the secondary. Yeah, I think Nwosu is probably having a career year. It's, I mean, he's been a savior. No question. Um, it's, it's, it, it, that is, that is pretty cool to see. Um, I think he's been, you know, like I think he's exceeding uh, the value of his contract even, um, which is cool because when they signed him, I thought you're getting exactly what you paid for. He's about it feels like a ten million dollar per year edge in in, in the 2022 market at that position. Um, I feel it feels like they're getting, you know, 15, 16 million dollar play, kind of like that Zadarius Smith contract out in, in uh, mm-hmm. Minnesota um, or whatever that that is. I don't remember. At least that's what he signed with in Green Bay. But they're, they're getting that level of play um, kind of like that, you know, clustered with maybe the, the second or second tier of, of edges in the league, which is a really competitive group. Right. Um, so so that's really cool to see. Um, Tariq Woolen is 
is uh, having as exciting a rookie season you could have expected for a guy that everybody agreed was the the toolsiest guy in the draft and simultaneously the rawest corner in the draft. So uh, credit to Carl Carl Scott for getting him up to speed as much as he is. I mean, he's not just making splash plays. He's he's preventing targets, which is maybe the most important thing a corner can do. Um, he's, he's contesting a lot of balls. Um, and then you still see room for growth, like on those inbreakers, but, but that, that will come in time. Um, he, he's really been promising. Um, on the secondary overall, you know, we talk about the, the defensive woes. Uh, one thing that has remained steady since, um, that week six mark when they started to get, uh, they had their, you know, good month long season They're this might sound sock, uh, sound shocking. It is carried somewhat by that that month long period, but they've had some good games even since then in this area. They are seventh overall in passing efficiency since week six. So, I'm not going to say they're the seventh best pass defense right now, but like they 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 made um, uh, John uh, uh, what's his name Waldorf Wolford. Wolford, man, I reversed it. They made Wolford look like a bad backup in the pass game. Uh, I mean, he made a couple completions, but I mean, he he his efficiency was horrible last week. Um, uh, yep. The the Panthers they had they didn't have a horrible game, but it wasn't a great game uh, statistically passing. Um, Sam Darnold had five yards per attempt. Five yards per attempt. So like the the the, the secondary I think is overall considering that they've got two rookies and and Mike Jackson who is. Might as well, you might as well count him as a rookie with yeah. how inexperienced he is, right? I mean, he's a, a young player. And being down Jamal Adams, the, the secondary for, for this new coaching staff is way further along than I think we could have hoped them to be at this point. Now, it's it's cheating a little bit by looking at the numbers from week six on only. You still have the whole the whole season. But if, if that can continue to remain steady where they don't have huge dips um, uh, in, the, in the final four games, now they are playing the Chiefs in two weeks but if, if that can remain steady I think the the whole big picture with where this defense is at um, I think that's probably the most promising sign um, because I mean uh, we uh, we have to remember I have to remind myself um, even though they were six and three at one point this year was supposed to be a reset year right so the fact that they might have solved the hardest part and can still get better is uh, is, is a positive sign yeah, it's it's super encouraging, and they are going to have a huge test waiting for them on short notice this Thursday as the white hot 49ers come to town. A loss would knock the Seahawks down to 500. It would further whittle their playoff aspirations. San Francisco's defense, nothing short of elite this season. Their offense hasn't skipped a single step since Jimmy Garoppolo went down. Niners, as we talked about, they destroyed Seattle back in week two. So it's not difficult to imagine how San Fran ends up winning on Thursday. My question to you is what has to happen for the Seahawks to win and how likely is it? I think they just need to perform to their talent level and have the right calls in the right calls installed for this game. And what I mean by that is the 49ers run all sorts of different schemes, zone gap scheme when they're in there. I think they're going to primarily play their base bear defense i would just have the complimentary what we call them like fire zone calls um like basically you're 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 blitzing but you're not blitzing the pass you're you're blitzing the run um ken norton jr had a, a laundry list of those calls and it worked last year against the 49ers now it's a little different ball game now that they have christian mccaffrey um but definitely don't play the front that you played in the first time you played them uh, you're just shooting yourself in the foot come 
be sound, play gapped out, meaning one high for every gap that's presented by the offense. You have one defender. Um, and then and have have those calls ready. Don't just sit in the same front snap after snap because or the same two or three fronts because uh, Shanahan will will find the weak spots. Um, so just just uh, uh, defend the run, and I'll I'll take whatever they do on on the other side of the ball. I I, I do think it will be a closer game um, than maybe how we're feeling. I think it'll be a competitive game. Maybe a one score game. Vegas has the line at three and a half. They got Seattle plus three and a half, which I mean, they're at home on a short week. So that's saying maybe seven points on a neutral field. But I mean, given how the first game went and given how the last month has gone for each of these two teams, even seven points on a neutral field feels a little bit generous. So Vegas is in line with what you're saying. I hope so. I, I've I've had I've I've had beef with Vegas this year, so I, I hope that uh, and not just Josh Jacobs. Hey, oh, <laughs> I, I I hope that um, I, my agreement is uh, I hope that pays off finally. No pun intended. I don't have money on this game. That said, but yeah, yeah, I'm having a hard time. Usually, anytime I can get plus three and a half, I'm taking it. But uh, man, it just it's it's tough for me to square. I do think that. You know, Thursday games overwhelmingly favor home teams. Um, just travel on a short week. You're already missing two prep days from a normal, uh, or three prep days from a normal week. Um, then teams are typically losing another one of those to travel. But uh, it's a short trip for San Francisco, and they don't seem like a team that needs to make a lot of adjustments right now. I mean, Brock Brock Purdy, he might just be awesome. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Some sometimes quarterbacks are just good he's fearless I, I i think that he is fearless and and that's something that is different than what they've had at quarterback uh with grappolo and and even lance you know in his small sample size wasn't taking a lot of risks but purdy is and big cock brock best nickname <laughs> in the game he's out there he's slinging it i also feel like kyle shanahan you know kyle shanahan from a vibes perspective can't stand him bottom of the barrel just hat pulled down low face buried in the play sheet absolutely zero juice but the guy turns every assignment into a totally binary responsibility which players once they grasp it love and if you can come in and you understand the scheme and you know what you need to do i don't know that there's a more quarterback friendly offense in the entire nfl than what shanahan has made all the more potent by the fact that they've built this roster as far as their playmakers go with guys who are just devastating after the catch. Now, the 49ers are going to be without Debo Samuel. It is tough to overstate how big of an impact that is. So that could help close the gap as well. And I think I think without Debo and if Ken Walker is back, this game could be close. And when you're facing a better team, and let's let's not mince words here, the 49ers are a much better team than the Seahawks are if you can keep it close, if you can keep it to that three or four point spread late in the game, then your one play or one fortuitous bounce or one bad call or one anything away from stealing a win. Uh, agreed. And yeah, I, I, uh, I, 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 I can't add anything to that. I, I agree. I just, I just hope that's, I, I just hope we don't see a game where it's like, why is there one of their best players having the worst game of his life right now? Um, which we could have said about four or five of, of players that we all kind of agree, like are solid at, at worst. 
Um, I really hope it's just not not one of those games. Um, yeah. I really think yeah, it's man. just going to come down to whichever team simply wants it more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, and, and as it that, always does. I mean, the Panthers wanted. I mean, everything we've talked about. You can take the entire last hour and boil it down to that. That's, granted, that's why we say. Granted, for I game. mean, watch. Okay, as the saying goes, watching the tape. I watched that, and as the game went on more and more and more, I thought one of these teams wants it more, and it's not even reflected Honestly. in effort. It's it's, 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 it's it's one side of the ball has their head in the right place, the other side doesn't. You know, so. Well, look, if, if the Seahawks do win on Thursday, it would certainly make the NFC West much more interesting than it currently is. Absolutely. But it's becoming increasingly unlikely that Seattle wins the division. So where would you put their playoff chances overall? And to piggyback on that, how important is it to the team's future development that they reach the postseason this year? Um, I, I think making the, the playoffs, well, so I think that they go, um, I think they surprise and, and finish the season 10 and 7. So I think they squeak out a win that no one's expecting them to get either uh, this week or or then the uh, next week against against the the Chiefs. Um, they have beaten the Chiefs before when they probably had a similar talent disparity overall back in 2018. That was a long time ago. There's a lot of different faces, but I think this team wins 10 games. Um, I, uh, I I buy into. I, I buy into their their ceiling that we've seen. I also buy into their floor that we've seen. I think both are real. I don't think either is fake. I think it's they're like two wolves. I think they're 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 both sides of that coin. So um, I think they finish ten and seven. I think ten and seven gets them a wild card, maybe even the sixth seed. Ten and seven will absolutely if they if they win ten games, they're they're in. There's no way that both the Commanders and the Giants also win 10 games, especially since they, they had that tie. So if if you're right, and they do win three of these last four, and and look, it, it feels unlikely based on how the last month has gone yeah. and based on the strength of their remaining opponents. But like I said earlier, you know, this season has been broken down, and, and it's really gone by calendar month. You know, the yeah. September was very uneven. October was insanely good. November has been bad. There's no reason to think they can't finish with a really good December. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so on, on that note, I think if they do make the playoffs, I think simply making the playoffs will make this team and, and everyone invested feel like this season was unmitigated success. It was exceeded all expectations. I do think that would be good for morale. Um, part of it, I think the reason why it's important is because all off season, everyone talked about how like all the people that were clued in with the team and had sources and everything that talked to players and coaches, they were all, there was a consistent message that regardless of what people outside the building think, they all think they're a playoff team, whether they, I mean, every team thinks, oh, we got a chance, right? But they were pretty steadfast in that belief. So I think that they will think it's a failure. We may not feel that way, but I think the players, the coaching staff will feel like they failed if they don't make the playoffs. So on that note, I do think it is important. If they end up going one and three down the stretch instead of three and one, they finish eight and nine, you know, for the season, you say, hey, they're going to go eight and nine. How would you, you know, how would you feel about that? I'd be thrilled. Of course, once you're six and three, eight and nine looks a lot less right. appealing. But you're saying, you know, I, I think most of us who cheer for the team, follow the team would, when we zoom out, consider that a success. You're saying that that would feel like a failure inside of that building. 
I think so, especially like to your point, when, when, when you're six and three, it's hard for any team to be six and three and not feel like you're a good team. Anyone that is at one point in time sitting there, they're six and three, they're saying if things go downhill from here, it's 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 a failure. Like expectations can can reset, right? That they can be relative and everything. Absolutely. So like regardless of what you thought might have, even if maybe in there, if you cornered them and, and, and gave them truth serum, like how do you really feel about this season back in August? Regardless of how they really felt then, once you're six and three, finishing the season eight and nine, that's that that's that's rough. So, um, especially like if if we if we just break down each game, like they lost games they had no business losing. Like you just you you fucked up really in those games, and then that's how I feel about it as a fan. They they screwed they screwed up in in some of these losses. So, um, but really like global view. Think about how different this season is if they even had an average run defense on the whole season. Like, they might be 10-2 and two right now. Um, and and run defense isn't that hard to fix. And, like, I, I don't know. I just I think they have the players to make it work, and it's perplexing that they aren't making it work to me. It's, it, it's baffling. I don't think the answer is as easy as, well, they just don't have enough talent. They're going to add talent regardless, but it's just – it's it's uh it's very frustrating it doesn't feel like it because of how the last game went but you look at all the projection models it's a coin flip right now whether seattle gets into the playoffs the most bullish one that i've seen is espn's which has them as a 58 percent chance of getting in uh, i think uh, football outsiders and nbc sports um, which is tied to pff have them at about 42 percent so um three wins in the final four gets you in. I think that's a 99% certainty. One win absolutely does not. Two, it's 50-50. I mean, it's very much in their hands. They they have a chance. And I mean, how, we've said it before. How thrilled would we have been if you offered us before the season, you got a four-game stretch. You go two and two or better, you got a really good chance yeah. of getting into the playoffs this year. I think we're all taking that. Right. Ab- absolutely. I, I agree. And and the beauty of it is it just so happens that they have a top three pick. It doesn't like winning and losing doesn't affect <laughs> yeah. your capital. It just doesn't. Right. So. Right. Yeah. You can you can win guilt free. Yeah. Yeah. You're, we're playing with house money. Just, just just write it out. So I think it all comes down to once again. Do they want it enough? Do they want it? <laughs> absolutely. Hey, man. I mean, what if. I'm sure that's. I'm sure that if you distill it down to one phrase, that's the message Pete is delivering to everybody in the building. How bad do we want it right now? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know it sounds like you know we're armchair analysis, right? Like oh, they just they're not trying hard enough, but that might be just the last resort. Like like I mean, what, what did what? Did I mean, Bruce we're talking about say? the smallest of edges, right? You know, between making the playoffs and not in the NFL. I I, I say all the time. We, we see the difference between good teams and bad teams in the NFL is the difference between uh, a one and a nine on a zero to 10 scale. In reality, it's like a difference between a 98 and a 92 on a zero to a hundred scale. Yeah. I mean, all these teams are so good. Everyone's just awesome at football in, in the NFL. And so, you know, Seattle is, is right there. It's all we could ask for at this point in the season. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously going to be very, very excited to see how they do. I think these next two games are the biggest flashpoint for the entire season. Uh, it's probably the two best teams that they're going to play all year. And if they can win one of those games, I, I, I do think it's wheels up. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And then once they get in, who knows? Who knows? 
That's right. Right. That's right. <laughs> well, listen, Griff, this has been rad as hell, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to come in. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys. I appreciate it. It was, it was fun. Yeah. Always, man. And look, before we go, where can the people listening get more of your stuff? I do a podcast with uh, Matty F. Brown and Ty Dan Gonzalez called Seattle Overload. You can just type that in on YouTube or, or find it anywhere you can get podcasts. It'll, uh, it'll pop up. We talk scheme and just general, you know, first brush uh, impressions after, after a game and try to break down the tape later in the week. So, um, yeah. You hear that? You want more of this guy? Make sure you're checking out the Seattle Overload pod and following C-Mike's spin move on Elon's Cursed Bird app. You can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. To everyone out there, thank you for your continued support of the show. The feedback has been incredible. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you're really giving us the juice to make this happen. We will be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Yeah.